everyone welcome back to another edition of the fun in the sun podcast this is episode two my name is grant johnson i go to james madison university and i write for the breeze i'm cameron burnett i go to appalachian state university and i write for the appalachian my name is madison heretic i am also a student at james madison university and i also write for the breeze and i'm dj cadden and i'm the sports editor at the george and here at georgia southern university so guys, it's no secret this week in the Sun Belt was insane. Multiple Sun Belt teams defeating top 10 opponents, as well as Georgia Southern walking into Nebraska, winning a game there. You know, there's so many places we could start, but I think I want to swing it over to Cameron first. He was in Boone when all the mayhem was happening at Appalachian State um, for Appalachian's victory over Texas A&M 17-14 on Saturday. Cameron, just take me through what the scene in Boone was like, what it's been since, and just how you've kind of absorbed it all in the last 48 hours. So um, if I can even recollect what's happened in the last 48 hours, uh, I guess just going for the game, starting there, um, the game was just a performance that I think Sean Clark has been inches away. I said the term like striking gold again. Um, and this program needed that. They got close against Penn State. They got close against Tennessee. They got close against Miami. And then the biggest opponent that they've probably had in in at least recent memory is the one that they win. And I remember they, they get the win. And I live right next to some of the biggest bars in town. And I see, I see and hear, like I just had my win, I had my shutters closed and I just hear everybody screaming like hauling to King street and hauling to Doug Pond. That's where you, if you saw the videos, um, everybody rushing King street, like it's a mosh pit at a metal screamo concert. And then over at Duck Pond, people are diving in the water. There was a, um, a dude from Florida had artwork in the Duck Pond, which is like the pond up, up near the stadium. And, uh, everybody just starts diving in and that water cannot be clean. So shout out to them, but I personally would not do it. Um, so they jump in and there's this sculpture of a baby in there. And it's apparently spent time on different college campuses. They dismembered said baby and paraded the arm around the pond. And there's somebody like holding up a speaker. I just can't, you got to watch the video because there's no words that can describe the chaos that happened. And that was going on for hours and hours on. They were, they were dealing with issues because the police had to show up. People are jumping on top of police cars, jumping on top of cars. It was absolute chaos. That's the only word that you can use to describe it. But just talking about um, the spin for right now, obviously game day coming to Boone. Uh, just taking it from Texas A&M, which I think it's the trifecta of what you did. You beat them, first of all, a team that was probably hopeful to compete for a playoff if they were to beat Alabama, which is a tall task, but they didn't look so hot um, this week. They get the $1.5 million from beating them, and they steal game day because they had the only ranked matchup next week with Miami. I, I don't think it could have come together any better for App State and Sean Clark. No, and Cameron, I want to follow up on that because, um, you know, obviously we didn't record a pod last week, but it was, I would have been asking you about that 63 to 61 thriller that mm-hmm. you guys were on the short end of the stick against UNC. So I guess talk about the difference between, you know, Kid Brewer Stadium that week, week one, versus obviously what Boone was like. Like talk about the difference in 
heartbreak versus triumph just seven days apart from each other. Yeah, well, like even before the heartbreak, it was just as much chaos in the stadium on that day. There was people just swinging around beers, like what, like just going every like chaos everywhere. There was bleachers broken in the second row when um, App State scored the touchdown to get the chance to go for two, and obviously, it ends in like the most heartbreaking way possible. Two um, two point conversions where it felt, especially on the first one, Deshaun. Davis is wide open and they just don't connect and it happens. And Sean Clark came to the side of his quarterback, Chase Bryce spoke highly of him. And then you turn around and I almost think it was a spark. Like, obviously you don't want to lose to North Carolina considering the in-state rivalry. Like there's a history there now. And then it became fuel to go down to Texas A&M. And we talked about on the first episode, maybe Jimbo Fisher forgets about app state, but I don't think he did because he spoke highly all week about um them and still have state came out with it but i think it was i think that's what built up to the chaos that happened in boone is everybody was just so down after the um carolina loss and turns it into an entire celebration on saturday so lord knows what's going to happen when everybody starts um piling up um at 5 a.m in on campus for college game day yeah game day will definitely be a sight to see we'll hit on that in a little bit but i want to swing it over to dj um you know, DJ, you were in Lincoln for Georgia Southern's upset over Nebraska, which I guess the preface, uh, Nebraska not in the place that Texas A&M was as a top 10 program, um, but definitely the history and just the tradition of what Nebraska is kind of made that upset maybe something more than it was just like on the field, Georgia Southern versus Nebraska. When you walk into a stadium with, you know, I don't know how many straight years they've sold out um, Nebraska Stadium, 80 plus thousand people, but you know, just talk about the atmosphere there, DJ, and what it was like to see Georgia Southern, another Sunbelt team, just walk into one of the most storied programs in college football history and come out of there with a thrilling three-point win. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we didn't really expect to win before the game. I, I've jokingly tweeted that we were going to cover the spread whenever it was released. And – but then – we're out drinking, we're out watching games, and we see App State beat A&M. We see Texas keeping it up with Bama. We see Marshall beat Notre Dame. And we're like, man, it, it might just be the day for the Sun Belt. And then we we start, we just, we just came out and scored. It looked too easy to believe at first. And then we just kept scoring, and we kept going shot for shot with Nebraska. And, I mean, obviously it, it came down to whoever had the ball last. And Kyle Van Trees, the ginger general, Throw for 400 yards, gets Scott Frost fired, even runs for a touchdown to win the game. I mean, just could not be any better. And the, the atmosphere around Georgia Southern is just unreal right now. Yeah, sounds like it. And, you know, you talk about just kind of all the chaos in the Sun Belt last week. Obviously, the other big upset was Marshall defeating Notre Dame. And, you know, Cameron mentioned, you know, the buyout with, App State and Texas A&M. I know Marshall has paid, you know, $1.25 million to walk into South Bend and come out of there with a win. I guess just opening it up to everyone, like what does last week mean for the Sun Belt? As I was saying kind of before we were recording, I think people within the Sun Belt, like coaches, media, I think we all realized what the Sun Belt was. We all realized that this is a really good conference. Um, but I think the national media really got their eyes open, you know, after this past week with the top 10 upsets, Maddie, I'll swing it over to you. 
Like, what does this past week kind of just mean for the Sun Belt and their national reputation? Well, I think, like like you said, Grant, I think you hit it right on the head. Like, we all knew that the Sun Belt was a good conference. We all knew what all of these programs meant. We all knew that the Sun Belt East Division was going to be an extremely difficult and rivalry-filled um, division. But the rest of the world didn't see that because, well, in some cases, it was kind of overshadowed by a couple other conference realignments here and there. Um, I think a lot of people really kind of started focusing on just their team once college football for this season kicked off. Um, And so, I mean, in week one was, you know, it was a great weekend of college football. I'm not going to sit here and say it wasn't, Um, but it was kind of almost typical. Like Alabama went and put up a shutout, no surprise. Um, But then, you know, last basically last possession of Alabama, Texas, and Texas has got a lead. Like, they got Alabama worried. Um, and, like, to me, that was the start, was noticing was noticing the Texas-Alabama score. I think I looked at, like, halftime, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Okay. Um, and then I saw Marshall-Notre Dame. I was like, okay, now, now, we're in, now I'm definitely invested in this. Um, and so I think it really does start when you have – when you have the opportunity to look around at all of the scores, I know all of us is like sports, like nerds, junkies, whatever you want to call it. We check everybody's scores because we're curious also because we do have to vote at the end of the night. Um, But a lot of people don't really do that sometimes. So I think that's where a lot of this intrigue is coming from is people see that little ticker at the bottom, get, get updated results. And you're like, Oh wait, let me put on this game. Let's see what's going on here. And that is really what kind of started generating the general populace um, of why the Sun Belt just kind of made so many waves this weekend. At least that's how I've seen it. Yeah, I agree with a lot with what of what Maddie just said, but a lot of people are thinking this is a one week thing. This wasn't a one week thing. I mean, the Sun Belt came out week one, Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech on Friday night. And then App State was, I mean, damn near beat North Carolina. App State should be 2-0 right now if, if everything went right. And then we come out and we beat two top what was top top six, top eight teams this weekend, and then we beat Nebraska too. I mean, going forward, I think this is the premier group five conference. I know the AAC was gunning for the power six or whatever they wanted to call it for a few years, but it, the Sun Belt's here to stay. No, yeah. Cameron, you, you got something? Uh, yeah, I definitely agree with the sentiment. I was just going to say, like, yeah, I think the AAC had something, and then obviously realignment um, changed everything. And while a lot of teams were scrambling to find the best um, programs to put in from like a success, just winning football perspective, um, the Sun Belt focused obviously having strong programs, but making it regional rivalries. And we we haven't even got there yet. We're two weeks into the season, and the Sun Belt is right in the national headlines and they haven't gotten into the regional rivalries yet. I don't think the Sun Belt could have planned this really any better because now all the hype is around it and we're about to see these teams who may have clashed way back in the 2000s or obviously have re rekindled those rivalries. We're going to see that and it's all going to be right in the same area. No, exactly. And it's not even just the the big upsets that happened last week. It's Arkansas State covering the spread against Ohio State, being halfway competitive. It's, you know, Georgia State playing South Carolina one week and then North Carolina the next week, getting the short end both times. But they're competitive for three quarters against South Carolina and then took UNC down to the wire. So it's like quite literally top to bottom, 
the league's been really competitive against these top teams. It's not just the upsets that have that really kind of shocked the college football landscape, you know, over the last two weeks. It's, it's been really top to bottom from the conference. And, you know, I think, you know, we've we've done a good job establishing what the Sunbelt's kind of what Sunbelt has been this year through two weeks, how it's kind of, you know, put itself onto the map pretty, pretty seamlessly. But, you know, Cameron, I think I'll go back to you. Just I know. You know, with with this increased, you know, hype, game day is coming to Boone. App State, Troy, you know, Saturday, it's going to be packed. It's going to be crazy. Cameron, just kind of take me through what game day going to App can expect, what kind of this culmination of the last crazy two weeks in Boone is kind of going to bring to college game day. Well, as we've seen the last two weekends, Boone's just a damn party. There's no other way around it. People are going to be out there partying. That's going to be from 5 a.m. Like people showed up week one for the game against Carolina. Fans were outside the stadium at 6 a.m. So you think 5 a.m. is an issue for them to get out there and like wait on Lee Corso, Kirk Street, everybody up there? Absolutely not. People are going to be having the time of their lives. And I think it pans out really well because we don't have a noon game. It's a 3.30 game. So people are going to go out there. They're going to pack it out. I don't even know because it's in Sanford Mall right in the heart of campus. And there, while there's a lot of space there, I don't think they realize how many people are going to try to show up for game day. People are going to come out of the woodworks. I have friends coming up in town, like uh, alumni. It's just going to be um, something that puts – if App State and the Sun Belt weren't already on the map, people are going to see um, the value of um, college towns. And I think that's another thing that shows in the Sun Belt is it's a bunch of really passionate college towns, and that gets put on a spotlight again this weekend. For sure. And I think coming from the corner in the Shenandoah Valley of Harrisonburg, Virginia, I know a lot of people in JMU country, JMU Nation, were thinking that uh, JMU would be going to Boone for game day. Um, obviously, that changed when App State beat Texas A&M, and you know, the com- kind of consensus before that was, you know, Texas A&M takes care of business at home, then it will be Miami versus Texas A&M, and then maybe Sunbelt will get it week three. And then, you know, when Marshall is having that upset, JMU fans were thinking, oh, maybe October 22nd, homecoming weekend, we we host Marshall. Maybe game day will come to Harrisonburg then. I guess, Maddie, you know, JMU's 2-0 right now, obviously the newcomer into the Sunbelt, one of the four new teams. Haven't really been tested yet. You know, played a Middle Tennessee team week one that, you know, won seven games in 2021, but, you know, didn't really look too hot week one you know, plays an FCS foe in Norfolk State week two. But now the schedule gets real. Jamie's on a bye this week, and then they go to Boone. So I guess, Maddie, kind of talk about what you've seen from JMU so far, and then what you kind of – do you foresee this kind of success for JMU to kind of continue as Sunbelt play gets real? Well, you know, Grant, I think that this puts a lot of pressure on JMU, whether fans want to admit it or not. I think that there's now an added level of pressure – because a lot of the teams that JMU is going to be seeing this season have now gotten some pretty serious upsets. Next, first one on the list, Absate. You got Texas A&M. I'm not going to lie, Cameron. The whole college game day thing, we were talking about this before we started recording, how I'd been manifesting college game day since freshman year. I was like, we're one week off. Literally, it was the one downside that I thought of when App State toppled Texas a and I am so sorry. I, like, oh. <laughs> I don't think you are, though. That's the thing. <laughs> it's it's, it's a double-edged sword, if you will. So. Yeah, okay. Um, it happens. But no, so, yeah, yeah. But so you have, like, 
like you have that like you have that upset you have you know when grant and i make the trip down to statesboro georgia you know georgia's now got uh, georgia southern's now got this nebraska upset on their um on their tails odu's got the one from virginia tech to open the college football season like you've got a bunch of programs that have proven that they can handle pretty much anything honestly like just just putting it straightforward they can really handle anything and so that does put a lot of pressure on JMU because I mean like Signetti has told us like he doesn't feel like this team has really been tested yet um now that's also a fairly typical Kurt Signetti answer and it's something he said all throughout last season during the FCS um during the FCS games and things like that um but I mean the players the players know that you know it's it's gonna get real in a couple in a couple weeks um one of the first things the players said after the Norfolk State game is that they all checked their phones and they all kind of had a moment where they looked around and realized that App State just beat Texas A&M. And they're like, oh, crap. OK, it gets real now. Um, and I think it was extra motivation, honestly. Um, but no, I mean, I think I think it's we've gotten to the point where JMU fans are like, OK, like they're they're. I feel like a lot of fans are kind of in like cruise control right now. They're like, ah, the FBS. We're good. We had two statement wins. We get a bye week. And then we have to go down to Boone. So I, I think the I think the wall of reality is coming to JMU. I don't know if it's going to be App State. I don't know if it's going to be Texas State, ODU. Somewhere along the line, the reality of the level of competition is going to be coming very soon for JMU at this point. For sure, Maddie. And, you know, DJ, I want to swing it over to you. What is next for – what's next for Georgia Southern? Obviously, you know, we hit on it. The, the big Nebraska win – you know, they wrap up non-conference play. They've got uh, UAB, and then they host an 0-2 Ball State team on September 24 when I think most of the Sun Belt will be focused on JMU versus App, but, you know, we'll see how that pans out. I guess talk to me about, you know, what's next for this 2-0 Georgia Southern team, new-look offense with Clay Helton. Like, talk about what's on the horizon for, you know, the Golden Eagles after such a monumentous win. Things kind of changed after we beat Nebraska. It went from a season where we were thinking – you know, three, four wins, just transition out of the triple option to a season where people are there, – there's expectations in Statesboro now. If we don't make a bowl after beating Nebraska, that it, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. I know Nebraska is nothing special, but, I mean, it's a Power 5 team, and we walked into Memorial Stadium, 84,000 people, whatever it is, and won the game. So we have expectations now. I think a bowl game is, is obviously very much in play. If we can get through – non-conference play three and one. That's a huge success. Uh, I don't know. I think Georgia Southern, Georgia Southern is ahead of schedule, obviously. I mean, Clay Helton coming in two and oh. Nobody thought we were going to beat Nebraska. We were a 22-point underdog. We put up 45 on them. So, I mean, just the whole attitude really shifted. I know inside the team they believe they were this good the whole time. But, obviously, the fans and a lot of the media – didn't believe that we could beat Nebraska and didn't think we'd be a team that would be gunning for a, a bowl spot, hopefully down the line. But, yeah, I mean, it just kind of changed things, and I think this is a team that could very easily win six, seven games this year. Right, and, DJ, that's a good segue. You know, you talk about bowl games. You know, I feel like these last few weeks have a lot of Sunbelt fan bases dreaming big, a lot of teams being competitive with top teams, a lot of teams beating teams, you know, with the notoriety of a Texas A&M, a Nebraska, a Notre Dame, you know, obviously so many things can change between now and the end of November and December. 
But when you look across the Sun Belt, there are 14 teams, 13 eligible for a bowl game because JMU can't because they're transitioning from the FCS to the FBS. But do we kind of have like a ballpark estimate of maybe how many Sun Belt teams do we think will get the six wins based off what we've seen through two weeks? I know, I think another added element to this is with how competitive the Sun Belt's been, you know, our team's going to be beating up on each other and our team's going to be winning games they shouldn't and losing games they should and losing games they shouldn't, I, I should say. And maybe they even out at like a five and seven, but they're competitive and, you know, six of their seven losses. I could easily see that happening. I guess, Cameron, I'll swing it over to you. You know, looking across the Sun Belt, what is kind of like a ballpark number for how many teams do you think will be, you know, dancing in a bowl game come um, come December? Well, Grant, I think um, obviously if James Madison – could be in a bowl game, they would. I think that's where they're at right now. But the Sun Belt East is going to beat each other up. And I don't know. I think Coastal has sputtered a little bit. They're 2-0, but they have not looked pretty. But I think they will likely sneak into it. I'll go ahead and go out on a limb and say App State and Marshall will make a bowl game. I, I don't think anybody will have any disagreement on that. But, I mean, it's really interesting because uh, just talking about the Sun Belt East, it's so competitive. You go down the list, it's Coastal, Georgia Southern, James Madison, Marshall, App State, Old Dominion, who obviously had their win in week one. And then Georgia State, while they haven't looked great, they almost beat Carolina. The Sunbelt East is really competitive. And while I think maybe four of them could get into a bowl game, they're going to run into some issues because they may knock each other out of it. Yeah, I got to agree with you on that one, Cameron. I. I think it's it's kind of hard to quantify it two games into the season, um, especially because conference play really hasn't started. It really starts this week. Um, and so it's really hard to kind of put that into perspective. Um, I would say probably four is at least a starting number of bowl games, whether that's across the – whether that's just in the East or if that's across the Sun Belt, time will tell. But I think at the very minimum I would expect about four teams from the Sun Belt to make it into the bowl game. Obviously, you have your Sun Belt, um, Sun Belt Conference Championship winner involved in that conversation as well, but who knows? Yeah, like Maddie and Cameron said, I think three or four is probably going to be what happens. But, I mean, through two weeks, obviously, there's a lot more season to go. But there's been seven teams that look good enough to be in a bowl because Louisiana's on the other side. South Isles, 2-0, and too. And then the Sun Belt East, everybody – I think Georgia State really needed to pick off one of the Carolinas to to convince me a little more. But there's definitely seven, eight, nine teams that are going to at least compete for a bowl spot. Well, and I think what's interesting in that, I at least at least this is from somebody that's on the new side of the Sun Belt here. Um, everybody's very nice with each other right now, at least like on the fan and the media side. Like everyone's like oh, we're rooting for you guys. Like, I knew a lot of Sunbelt fans that were, like, on the App State bandwagon, like, as the game started to come down. They were on the Georgia Southern bandwagon um, as the game started to really come down to it. I really much am looking forward to, like, when we get to, like, week eight and seeing how that changes and how, you know, it gets down to it. You know, App State needs two more games to be able to qualify for a bowl. Okay, well, who, do, who are they taking down in that process? Or if Georgia Southern needs three more, who are they taking down in that? Um, JMU obviously is not part of that conversation this year. Um, 
But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I also will say because JMU isn't able to compete for a bowl game this year, should JMU go out and surprise everybody? I'm interested to see how that shifts the the number of programs that make into a bowl. Like if JMU were to go six and five this year and technically qualify for a bowl game, okay, well then who are you knocking out of that equation? Because while JMU got the six wins, somebody else didn't. So I think I think that is where things are really going to get interesting once we get it later. No, I think you guys all hit it on the head with how competitive the East is and how that might just shake out some teams. You know, pulling up the you know pulling up the Sun Belt standings right now. Obviously, in the West, you know, Louisiana they've been the top dog for you know the last five or so years, going back to Billy Napier days. It looks like they're you know you want to say like a shoe in when they're two and zero, but I mean they'll probably make a bowl. You know, South Alabama. You know, DJ mentioned them haven't really been tested yet. They traveled to UCLA. I think we'll learn a lot about them this week. Um, you know, looking across conference, Texas State, they've got some tough games coming up. Obviously, they they travel to Baylor. So, you know, it seems like the West is kind of getting their fair share of, you know, top college football programs in week three. But no, I mean, I'm kind of with you guys. I, I'd expect somewhere in the range of eight, maybe. But I think one of the factors where it will all kind of come back to where the hype is now is that when those eight teams get into, you know, bowl season and when they're all bowling, you know, they've been so battle tested all year. I wouldn't be surprised if they walk out of bowl season, you know, some belts as a whole going six and two in bowl games or seven and one, you know, getting those, you know, kind of early like mid December matchups that, you know, are like 1230 on ESPN, whatever, you know, Camellia bowl. I don't know, but like th- those kind of bowls that are kind of like shoe overs, but then you like look at back and it's like, you know, Oh, like the capital one bowl stats or whatever at the end. And it's like, well, the Sun Belt has the best winning percentage. And that's been something that's been touted by Keith Gill constantly of how good they've been in bowls. And I think with how much more bolstered the Sun Belt is, with how battle tested they'll be during the year, that'll help them against other conferences and bowl games. So, guys, I think we've really we've hit all the stuff, you know, App State's rise to fame, part two, Michigan in 2007, them again in 2022. Maybe not to that extent, but you know, they're they're going crazy right now. Um, we've hit on JMU. Cameron. I was going to I was going to say one thing one thing I didn't note talking about the Michigan thing Cooper Hodges who's an offensive lineman brat been here a long time he looks he was not the guy that was posted with the um with the red hair that they were calling a viking but he he's a viking with brown hair he's a viking with brown hair and he sat in there and obviously it's almost lazy to compare it to the Michigan game but you have to like that's where the bar is but Cooper Hodges spoke really highly about forget we're tired of hearing about the Michigan game. And I think that's kind of the chip on their shoulder that gave them the chance to win a game like AM and obviously turn it into the goal that they always have in Sean Clark pushes to win the Sunbelt championship. But I think that's something I've really noticed is the evolution to try to not forget about such a huge win against Michigan, but make a legacy of their own. Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And I mean, is there anything that App can do to, like – because that win is so symbolic of just, like, a David beating a Goliath. And, like, you know, you, you talk about the, the Big House is quite literally the biggest stadium in college football. Going, like, there's so many just symbols with that of, you know, that was really their start of their rise to fame. But if App, let's say, if they go 12-0 and this year and if they're the Cincinnati of last year, is that something where, you know – whoever in 
that lives in Oklahoma or that lives in on the West Coast can look at App State and be like, oh, they're the team that went to the college football playoff, not, oh, they're the team that walked into the big house and beat Michigan. Is there ever anything App can do to kind of change that? Um, I think, well, obviously the Carolina game kind of derails the potential of a um, New Year's Six Bowl with way with the way that BYU is playing. And obviously if things pan out, maybe that's changed. But I think the only way for them to really up that is an opportunity like this season where you get a big upset like that, but then you get a New Year's Six Bowl if that opportunity arises and you get another big program. And if you can prove that you can do it twice and it's not just you're upset, but I think the reputation change, like you see people talking on Twitter, like who's scheduling app state in their right mind. If you're a power five high level program, like, I don't know why you're paying app the money to come down there and play you because there's so much risk. And I think while it's hard to compare to that win, I think that reputation spreads around to programs and almost is um, a double-edged sword to at because teams won't want to schedule them. I was just going to say, I was just going to say, you mentioned where it's like people are saying don't schedule app state, like who's in their right mind. I have seen so many people that have gone online and have said, you know, this would the exact reason why you don't schedule app state. Um, and you can make that argument of not wanting to schedule a team because you're worried you're going to get beat for a lot of different teams. I know that's um, it's part of the reason why it took JMU such a long time to reschedule UVA. Um, after JUVA, it took a long time for JMU to reschedule Virginia Tech. Same same reasoning. I mean, I, I am interested to see the next time that Virginia Tech goes to ODU at this point. Um, but it's like, it, it, I mean, you're exactly right. Like, it's just so... It's just so funny how people don't know about these programs sometimes. And then these big, these big wins will happen. And everyone is like, this is why you don't schedule them. And, but at the same time, Cameron, I don't know if you're sitting here and it's like, okay, but how much do you actually know about App State? Have you had that vision at all yet? Wait, say that again real quick. Sorry. Have you had like an actual conversation when you're listening to somebody and they're like, this is why you don't schedule App State. But it kind of makes you go back and think, like, how much do you actually know about App State? Like, have you, do you know, like, this is like a genuinely strong program or anything like that? Like, I know um, there was a viral video going, or at least a clip going around of, oh, I don't remember, I don't remember the commented off the top of my head that made a comment of, like, Nebraska had no business losing to Georgia Southern. Um, and everyone was like, okay, but like, do you know Georgia Southern's history? Okay, DJ's about to get involved in this now. <laughs> Hop in it. Hop in it. Yeah, can we talk about that for a second, please? All right. So PTI used to be one of my favorite shows on ESPN. I, I don't watch it much anymore, but it used to be one of my favorite shows. They're talking about Scott Frost getting fired. <clears throat> and I forget the guy's name. I, I, I'm i blanking on who it is, but he said, you can lose to Marshall. You can lose to App State. You can't lose to Georgia Southern. All right. Well, Georgia Southern is one of the most successful FCS programs of all time. They were, they were successful when they first joined the Sun Belt. Obviously, things have not been that successful recently. But, I mean, we're, what, when did we beat Florida? Less than 10 years removed from beating Florida? 2013, I think that was. I mean, so, I, I don't know. That that pissed me off. That was, the disrespect was just uncalled for. And, yeah. But that's exactly my point, though. 
like that's that's exactly the point that I'm trying to make is like a lot of these programs that or at least a lot of these at least a lot of these fans or in, in this case an outlet is saying it's like you know like you have to put respect on these power on these uh, on these group of five programs but at the same time like you flip the corner and they're like oh well it's just it's just App State it's just Georgia Southern it's just JMU and it's just like where is that like what what is that coming from and so I that's why I was trying to get your get your brain to pick camera but clearly DJ had another thought mm-hmm. and then like talking about Georgia Southern as that guy obviously thinking like when we're talking about if App State could have a New Year's Six Bowl. Do not forget that Georgia Southern robbed them of it in 2019. I will never – that is the one game I was like, oh, I'm bringing all my friends up for. And it was a blizzard on Halloween, and we lost. I will never forget that game. But it's stuff like that that I think is so exciting about the Sun Belt. Is there's all that success, but those regional rivalries will put you down and get rid of all that confidence in a blink. No, and I think, like – the number one thing when JMU moved up to the Sun Belt was, it was, oh, now teams are actually going to want to schedule JMU because they're not an FCS program anymore. And there's not that stigma of losing to an FCS program. Well, I think now it's like, why would anyone want to schedule the Sun Belt non-conference play with how competitive it's gotten to now? And also on the other side of it, when you look at it from why would a team want to schedule Sun Belt teams? I mean, mad respect to North Carolina for traveling the two Sun Belt programs and coming out with two wins. Like that is something that, man, if other programs did that, when you saw the environment that was in Boone and then them going down to Georgia state as well and coming out of there with the win, that's like one of the most under talked about underrated storylines. I feel like of the first two weeks of college football this year is a power five team saying, you know what, we're going to put on our bootstraps and we're going to go to one of these, you know, mid-major programs. And they came out of there with two wins. Like, you're not, you know, the whole thing of like, oh, you know, they're, they're, you know, why would you schedule them? They're tough. You might lose. Well, you like, you might win. And now look at it now. Teams respect North Carolina. And now they're set up really well for ACC play. Yeah. And like you said, uh, Grant, I think more Power Five teams need to, you know, kind of play those games where they travel to App State like North Carolina did last week or travel to Georgia State like North Carolina did this week. But obviously, we, we just talked about it. They're going to have that stigma. Don't schedule a Sunbelt team. But, I mean, we've reached out to Georgia and Georgia Tech about playing down here. And they said I – mean, our athletic director put it on Twitter that they weren't interested in playing down here. But I think that's good for the sport. And like you said, obviously, that's two good wins for North Carolina. They're 2-0, 3-0 actually. But, yeah, I think more Power 5 teams need to, to play these home-and-homes with – with teams like Georgia Southern, like App State, like Georgia State. No, yeah, totally right, guys. Totally right. And we're all on mute. I think that's a good stopping point. Um, Yeah, so great talk, guys. You know, I think we've really hit it all. We've, you know, Sembo's going to keep rolling. Um, Talk's going to keep rolling after. I can't imagine what it'll be like with Cameron, you know, post-game day, what what the whole experience will be like. you know, Maddie and I, Jamie, are on a bye week this week, so won't be too much going on this side. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get our other our other co-host, Dima, back in the action. Um, he is on an airplane and is in Vegas, so not joining this one. But um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, if this is your first time, you can check us out on Fun in the Sunbelt pod on Twitter and on Instagram. And we'll catch you guys next time.